Welcome to this week's MTD podcast. In this podcast, we will be discussing UK inventions and innovations. I'm Giovanni Albanese, hosting today's show, a passionate engineer and a very proud member of the MTD team. Today, I have the privilege to be joined by two special guests. Firstly, Steve Shikel, Sales and Marketing Director for LK Metrology. Steve's had a fantastic engineering career with over 30 years experience, and we will be delving into that a little deeper shortly. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much, Gio. It's a pleasure to be on board today, and uh, yeah, looking forward to your questions. Brilliant, Steve. Now, we also have the privilege to be joined by the Swarth guru himself, Mr. Joe Reynolds, Managing Director of MTDCNC, with over 25 years' experience in manufacturing. Joe's speciality is cutting tools, and prior to joining MTD, he had his own cutting tool business. Joe's regarded by many as an entrepreneur within the industry. So, welcome, Joe. Wow, bless you. Good job the camera's not turned on. Hi, guys. How are we doing? (laughs) Very well, thank you, Joe. Very well. So, guys, um, let's delve into your backgrounds. Um, Steve, let's start with you. You know, why did you get into engineering? You know, what what kind of companies have you worked for? Yeah, so good question. Um, I mean, at school, obviously, I was always curious about uh, automotive and aerospace. Um, Always seen myself as as working in that type of industry. So um, when I left school, I applied to work for, uh, it was British Aerospace at the time, uh, they were more local to us than anywhere else. Um, and I was fortunate to get a craft apprenticeship there. So basically, um, in my first year of doing the craft apprenticeship work, I, I looked at various skill sets and I kind of specialised in machining, um, which took me into the big machine shops. And if you've ever visited, which is now Airbus, um, you'll see some of their machine tools. They're like the size of four cricket pitches, so very big machines. Um, and then after then, I kind of got involved in metrology. So um, precision manufacturing lends itself to metrology. So I spent quite a lot of time um, in precision gauge control. Um, and then basically, uh, I ended up in the tool room as a tool room machinist. And um, on the back of that, that then leaded itself to tool room inspection. And at the time, we used to do a lot of inspection of the, the aircraft wings. So they just um, innovated and brought a new measurement system back in its day um, using field light systems. So basically you had two operators that were looking through telescopes, measuring single point at a time, looking at the, the wing root interface. So I actually got involved in that project and we helped reduce the, the measurement time from, I think it was about eight hours and I managed to get it down to one hour. And then in 2003, um, digital cameras first came out. So we then looked at um, moving away from using a manual operating, you know, a telescope-based system to uh, using digital cameras. So I helped innovate and bring the first, in the UK actually, uh, digital photogrammetry system in. So effectively, you just took targets on the wing and then um, took photographs of them and processed it with, uh, with their software, which again, we helped innovate and develop. And then moving on from there, we, we obviously then looked at uh, improving how the the aircraft wings were being built because we could see obviously errors. So we then looked at a gauge-less tooling philosophy and uh, effectively we totally revolutionized how the aircraft were built by building them digitally as opposed to having master gauges and things. So, um, And then that innovation led through to laser trackers 
Um, and then basically I left at Airbus to work for the company that was selling the metrology equipment. So that was about 2000. And then um, I effectively took that knowledge and passed it around all the other industries. So um, had great success in copying and pasting what I'd learned to Airbus and uh, selling it to other aerospace companies. That then led through to um, working for Hexagon. Um, and then I left Hexagon to work for um, basically a Slovakian company that specialized in uh, in-process measurement. So we innovated using the laser trackers and laser scanners to uh, inline measurement for, for scanning car bodies. And then uh, last year, I joined LK Metrology. So and LK's got a wealth of history and uh, in industry firsts. So uh, yeah, so far, so good. Uh, Steve, that's a fantastic background that you've got there. Um, Steve, you know, many innovations that, that we're going to touch upon uh, shortly. Um, now, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your background, please? Yeah, so um, I, I did an apprenticeship with a, a, a cutting tool manufacturer called Galtone and Richard Lloyd, who people of a certain age will, will know. Uh, yeah, he used to uh, design taps, design milling cutters, you know, end mills, different geometries. You'd be given components from companies such as Ford, Nissan, Airbus, Rolls-Royce, Honda. <clears throat> yeah, and you'd have to design cutting tools around the, around the drawing, essentially. But in that, in that, I went from, like, apprentice, obviously, so pretty much make a tap start to finish. Um, yeah, make a tap and, and milling cutter start to finish, whether it's indexable when you've got to look at, you know, how the pockets are made, the different angles and all the rest of it. Um, and I followed that through to a, on the road, an application, a sales job. Uh, I ultimately uh, left for a short period of time and went back as GM reporting to the board. Um, well, yes, yeah, it, it was good times, to be honest with you. Did a lot of um, machining, did a lot of grinding, both manual and CNC. Uh, so I had a short period of about two years out in the industry as general manager for a big mold shop, automotive mold shop. And that, to be honest with you, that was a really good two years. Lot, learned a lot about <clears throat> lean manufacturing, pack times, trying to take two seconds out of a cycle time was, was key when you're doing parts for Ford. And again, automotive, we're crisis sensitive. Um, then I went back into uh, the cutting tool world and ultimately I set up my own company, which was, um, yeah, it was doing okay, to be honest. It was more of a, a lifestyle change to join MTD rather than anything else. Um, about, crikey, four, 10 years ago or, or more, maybe even more now. So yeah, no times. Time moves on fast. Uh, unfortunately, it's all, it's all I've ever done is manufacturing. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, no love love what we do. MTD, we're we're very fortunate. We see a lot of things um, prior early earlier than a lot of people will. We see all the latest innovations. Quite often, we'll come up with ideas and things. I guess we do the good bit, but we don't have to sell the tools anymore, do we, Gia? No, I think that we're so privileged, you know, um, to be working for MTD CNC. We get to see all the latest innovations and technologies that are brought into the marketplace. I've calculated or done rough calculations that between the three of us, we have over 80 years experience within the manufacturing and engineering industry from different kind of sectors within it, really, and different what, you know, I've been work holding and machine tools, you've been cutting tools, Steve, metrology, and uh, and between the three of us, we have seen many changes um, over the years. Now, innovation is absolutely essential for us all to evolve, uh, for us to become more efficient, more profitable, more competitive. Um, and, you know, I want to just kind of start, start with you, Steve. What's the best 
invention that you've seen so far? You know, what is the best uh, innovation that you've seen that's really been a game game changer within the metrology um, sector? Wow, it's a good question because there's been so many. <laughs> um, I mean, if I go back to the days at Airbus, I think um, that was that was quite revolutionary in its day because um, if you look at how they used to build the jigs, really, to effectively build the aircraft components or the sub-assemblies, um, in the early days, they used to use static sites. So for Airbus Broughton, they had a, a facility down in Airbus Filton, which house these static sites and you can imagine if you've got a complete wing but it's actually made out of a master model and all the jigs would be built and set to that master model um so effectively you had to maintain the master model and then if there's any design changes you then have to strip down the jig and take it back down to filter and reset it to the design changes and that was very costly very expensive um and going back to what i said earlier so you know when we were measuring the wings we could see trends where certain jigs, you know, were slightly worse than others. Um, so there was no two jigs the same. Um, and my question was, well, why on earth aren't we using this technology to rebuild the jigs, to build them to their design intent? So rather than – because if you build a master static site, there's obviously going to be errors in that. And then if you build a jig to that, you're going to also induce errors in that. So there's a continuous stack up of errors. Um, and if you look at the, the traditional instruments that they used to use, they were very manual. So you may have seen stick micrometers. So, you know, if you've got a, stick, a length of stick micrometers that are going over sort of 50 metres, um, there's a lot of uncertainty at the end of that. Or if you're using telescopes, again, that's down to the interpretation of the operator. So, so for me, when we started using the digital metrology systems to rebuild the jigs, um, that totally revolutionised how aircraft are built. So effectively doing away with the cost of all of these big expensive static sites and the buildings and, and obviously the maintenance of these um, and just going back directly to the design intent. So if there's been any design changes, then ultimately it's just a, a, a digital electronic file that you import into the software. You go in with a measurement device and then you can just start setting it um, you know, within days you know, or within hours really. Um, but as I say, that was such a big change. And what it, what I would say it did is it, it actually reduced the lead time to, um, you know, to production from taking three or four years to build a static site and then maybe a couple of years to re to build the jigs down to you've designed the jig, you can actually then go and, and build it, and within six months you've got a working facility. Um, and I think you know, looking at the innovations over the last or the different variants of aircraft that have come out over the last sort of twenty years. That wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't have done that back in its day. So, I would say in the nineties, that was uh, that was really pioneering stuff and uh, made such a difference. That, that's an odd one to beat, Steve. That's a that's a great <laughs> example of, of innovation and inventions. Uh, uh, Joe, what's the what's the best innovation in cutting tools that you've seen over the years? Probably nothing quite as exciting as that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a number to be honest with you. There's a number um, things. A couple of the game changes was when uh, carbide end mills, they went from traditional uh, helix to unequal helix, variable helix. And what that enables you to do, that basically that reduces all the harmonics when, when, when you're machining. And if we see some of these roughing cycles now, if you were to put an end mill on there that doesn't have an unequal helix, they wouldn't, they wouldn't quickly, the, the, you know, the spindles wouldn't last. It would be a lot more noisy, tall life. Tall life would be poor. 
So just yeah, when when as soon as M Mills in in the late nineties, early noughties went to unequal helix, um, variable helix, um, that that was certainly a game changer. Um, there's when indexable tools went tangential, so obviously. Uh, how, how the insert was changed that for certain materials again was a game changer in Galtona we were doing that in the 90s and it became probably industry standard for many for many sectors probably 10 years after that believe it or not um, so that that was a game changer for companies like Ford and, and, and various other companies making certainly you know cast iron but if you look at most manufacturers now do offer many tangential systems whether it's a high feed or whether it's a 90 90 degree platform, 45 degree face mill. A lot do offer tangential mounted inserts. Um, as we move forward a bit closer to where we are now, um, the, these conical barrel mills, if, if used correctly, the, you know, the savings, I know you know a bit about these, Geo, but the, the savings are staggering. You know, 80, 90% isn't, is, you know, is, isn't unrealistic. Uh, in certain components, you, you, you can. You can take a, a four-hour my mass isn't that great. You can take a four-hour cycle down down to twenty minutes for argument's sake. I've seen, and uh, just yeah, it, it it is staggering. But you know, on top of that, what what you'll find is with a lot of cutting tools, there's always always a weak link. It's either the software gets held up and there's no product development. Maybe the machine tool hasn't progressed for a number of years, or the cutting tools. Where at the moment we do seem to be in an era where everything's progressing. Work holdings getting better by the day. Uh, tooling coatings. Metrology, machine tools, you know, these some of these five axis machines we see now, sliding heads. You know, all, it's all it's all, you know, it's it's all moving forward at probably the fastest pace I've known. People people will say how good can it get and maybe it's slowing down, stagnating. I think the opposite actually. When we start talking about AI programming and you know, machine learning, only knows where that's gonna be in five, ten years' time. So so yeah, the, the growth curve will continue. Technology will continue to evolve, and it's up to people like Steve to do it. I think. Hey, Joe. Joe just want to. Sorry, just wanted to interject there, Joe, because that um, brought back some memories when I was working at Airbus again, and I spent some time working in the machine shop, um, and we were bringing in his car cutters, you know, tip tools for the first time, and then I can remember going into the tool room and the the guys there with a the fly cutter, and it, he could literally peel the swarf off as it was going around. It was that slow. And I, I kind of looked at them and I was like, hang on a minute, have you not seen this new technology, these tip tools? And then I went to the machine shop and brought some back into the tool room. And I think that everyone just looked frightened of it all because <laughs> of the amount of um, the, you know, the material that we could remove so quickly and uh, the surface finish that we were getting, they were, they were totally blown away. So, uh, but, uh, exactly. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and, and high feed technology, I didn't mention high feed, but the first time people saw high feed, that. They'd be scared. They'd be running away. They think the, they think the swarf's going to break the you know break the uh, the screens on on the machine tools. You know, it's the first time they saw high feed. But yeah, there's lots of you know there's lots of technology advances over the years, cutting tools and software and machine tools. But yeah, where do you start really? I mean, you've you've made some really good points there, Joe, in regards to how everything is interlinked. Whether that be the cutting tools, the work holding, uh, the metrology software. Uh, tool holders, um, and without everything evolving at the same pace, you will always have that uh, weakest link. So it's so important that everything does evolve so everything else can work to its optimum um, performance. Um, in regards to design, innovation, and new inventions, Steve, um, you were on the Dragon's Den not too long back. 
um, with your own invention. Can you tell us about this? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, I won't take the, all the uh, the credit for it. Um, it was a good friend of mine who was actually a customer, and uh, he came up the, with the original concept. Um, and, and I'll tell you a little story, really, just to describe what where, where the need came from. Um, basically, he was walking his dogs. I think he was on Barmouth Beach on a beautiful summer's day where the rain was horizontal. It was probably about six degrees. And uh, the dogs had been obviously in the sea. They came in, and he was trying to um, – trying to get the standard trigger clip lead to hook onto the dog's collar. And his hands were absolutely stone cold and he was struggling with dexterity on his fingers. So um, he was struggling in a way and it just made him think there's got to be an easier way to do this. And um, so basically um, over many months, he looked at uh, various uh, options and solutions and made various prototypes out of very crude sort of materials and things. Um, and then when we started looking at um, magnetics and stuff like that, we, we realized that we could actually use magnets and clips to bring things together. Um, so basically, I, I got involved to help him, you know, promote it, market it, but also finalize and look at the do a little bit of market research. Um, so we got it to a stage where we, we actually got um, you know, good coverage. We got a distributor to take it to market for us. I think it was in 13 countries. Um, but the problem we had is that we we just people didn't know about it, and it was a sort of product. If you if you saw it hanging on a shelf in the shop, you, you wouldn't actually know what it is. So it's not something that you can relate to because it was brand new and it was obviously pioneering stuff. So um, I just said, look, let's just get it on Dragon's Den. It's the best way because it's going to get coverage instantly overnight. So um, so yeah, so we we applied, and uh, sure enough, we we got to to go on it and. Uh, it was a, quite a surreal experience because, um, you know, obviously without giving too much away, but when you're in there, it's, um, it, it, it's obviously a set, you know, so it's not an old building. It was actually a brand new building, but inside it was made to look old. And, and there's um, no lift, I bet. No lift at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So basically, <laughs> there's a guy there, when you press the button, he's there flicking the switch to change the uh, the numbers on the on the lift to show that it's moving from one floor to the next. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so so when you actually go in, um, from that moment on, that it's all filmed, that it's all real. There is no, you don't get to meet anybody beforehand, and uh, and it's a grilling. You know, it really is a grilling. And it was we were probably in there for a good hour, and um, really? yeah. But obviously, when you see it on TV, you you only see ten minutes, and uh, yeah. But we were successful. We we got investment, so we got investment from Nick Jenkins. And um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, obviously the product's still going; it's still a, a live uh, business. Um, but I'm more of a shareholder now, so I let Tony run with it now. Um, but many innovations have come out of it from there. Um, and the more recent one is a product we call Solock. So, so basically, using the same innovation where you basically point one thing to another and it aut- automatically connects and locks in place. And we put that into a lap belt for for wheelchair users. So. Basically, those who've got less dexterity and obviously movement of the of the hands and things. So people who have perhaps got some disability, um, and it's important that they, they they're restrained in a wheelchair, so you know they don't fall <coughs> out. Um, so basically, we've uh, we've come up with a new product called Solock. So um, you can use it with one hand. So the whole whole idea is is that somebody who's only got one hand can actually buckle themselves up, and, and uh, so so yeah, that's been uh, well received. It's uh, currently under trial with the nhs um we've got uh, lots of people interested in it and even for stair lifts as well so 
Um, again, people going up and down the stairlift don't generally um, buckle themselves up, but they should do because uh, obviously they could they could lean out and fall down the stairs. So, and and yeah, we've looked at the statistics, and unfortunately, if you look at the stats, there's um, there's unfortunately a lot of people who who obviously have a fall in their home and then they become critically ill from that fall. And, uh, you know, there's quite a few people that unfortunately do lose their lives on it. So, so we do see it as an essential thing, but, but more importantly, what's been really good from the innovation side is using the modern techniques from engineering, you know, rapid prototyping, you know, using, um, you know, additive manufacturing to print parts, to prove the concepts, um, you know, laser cutting to, you know, to make parts without having to get, uh, you know, tools made and stuff like that. So, um, so it fits really well. So it's a nice hobby to be involved in and it really complements what we do on a day-to-day basis. So, brilliant. so what, yeah. what's the, uh, what, what, what are the website, Steve? I'll give it a little plug. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the Maglock one is, uh, www.maglock, so M-A-G-L-O-C.co.uk. And the other website is www.soloc, so S-O-L-O-C uh, org. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff, Steve. Now, you've obviously progressed significantly, um, you know, from the Dragon's Den to the MTD podcast. Uh, there you <laughs> yeah. go. I'm living the dream today. And I think it's another, it's a, it's another great example of, like, you know, one innovation leading to another. You know, Absolutely. your first invention led to the, the latest one through, you know, through creating something that's not been created before. It opened your eyes to other avenues in which that product line um, could go. Now, Steve, just want to touch upon your current role now working for LK Metrology. They've got a strong heritage, especially when it comes to innovation and design. Now, back in the day, I believe in 1963, two pioneers Norman Key and his father-in-law, Jim Lowther, uh, set up LK Metrology, and they were the first uh, pioneers of the, the bridge-type CMM. Can you tell us, and, and, and amongst many more, I work closely with Rolls-Royce, can you tell us a little bit about their story and about LK, the company you're currently working for now? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, so as you quite rightly say, they, they were, they were, it was set up by Norman Key and his father-in-law, Jim Lowther, um, and basically, Norman was a, a Rolls Royce engineer, and um, he set up this company to effectively. It was like tooling company, so it was making tools and granite beds and tables. Um, but they also worked with Sir David McMurtry from Renishaw um, to help him develop the first touch trigger probe. So um, I believe they offered him, or he offered them, some shares in Renishaw at the time. And I think they thought that they had a bigger organisation, and they, they kind of declined. But uh, Maybe uh, in hindsight, that wouldn't have been such a bad idea. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so looking at um, looking at many of the first that they did, so they designed and developed the first bridge type CMM. So effectively, that that is a standard today. I mean, there must be over a hundred thousand CMMs in the world now that are using that same technology. Um, and then also, um, they've developed lots of other things that we don't necessarily know about. They they actually worked a lot with uh, Boeing. Um, some of the the military bases in uh, in America for developing, um, you know, when you start using composites, there's there's NDT machines that need to be uh, created to look at uh, delamination and stuff like that. So, so they worked on some of these big V bombers, um, developing um, some unique bespoke machines for that. But uh, again, we don't really publicise all of that. But there's there's been many firsts from that perspective, and then moving on from there. Um, 
they've, they've obviously designed and developed using different technologies. So initially, the first CMMs um, were quite heavy and very sturdy, very solid, because they were. it wasn't just a granite bed. They were using granite, uh, the bridge construction as well, which is uh, very stable, very accurate, um, but it's quite a heavy mass. So you can appreciate the machines today are a lot faster in comparison because we're using lighter materials. So, so through the through the sure. time, um, LK looked at using composites. So they made a composite bridge and a composite uh, spindle. Um, but they they were finding that you know the durability wasn't as good as they'd expect. So um, they then went to move on into ceramics. So so the beauty with ceramic is is that you've got the same characteristics that what you get out of granite, but you've got probably only 5% of, of the weight. Um, so we've got a very thermally stable machine, which is um, you know, mechanically accurate, but also um, we can use it in more harsh environments because of the, the stability of the materials that we use. So it's not so susceptible to, um, to temperature change. Um, but so, yeah, different probing technologies. Um, we were part of Nikon for some time, so we developed – a lot of laser scanning technology to go on the end of the uh, on the end of the quill, and um, to help speed up um, measurement processes. And then we developed in-process CMMs um, for car bodies, so body in white construction. So again, in, in America, they, they they did many firsts there with uh, General Motors and Ford. So um, so yeah, and of course we're still innovating today. Um, you know, we've, we've just launched a, a range of portable measurement arms. And um, we've still got our own software suite that we're developing on a day-to-day basis, but we're, we're moving more now into the industry four sector. So we're, we're trying to focus on what you do with the data. And um, if you're a quality manager or a production manager and you've got our machines in process, it's been able to manage those from a mobile phone and an app so that you you can have a holistic approach or holistic view of your production facility and instantly, if there's a problem, you get it pinged to your mobile phone in, in an app. So it's uh, so we're, we're kind of evolving and making it more easy to use and, and more visible, you know? Absolutely brilliant. I mean, Steve and Joe, um, you know, when, when we have conversations such as this, it really fascinates me to think that we have problems getting people into engineering and that we've got mm. a skills shortage. It really, really baffles me. I really can't understand it. I mean, there isn't, in my opinion, anything better than designing something from scratch. What do you think, Joe? I mean, with MTD, you set it up, with, uh, and you were part of MTD from the very start. And it is educational, Joe. It really opens the eyes. You know, we're quite privileged in regards to being able to see um, the industry from a bird's eye view, something that I didn't really have that that luxury um, to do before albeit I was still fortunate to be on the road and visit many companies. However, working for MTD, it really opens everything up. We're so privileged, and we can pass that knowledge and and information on to our audience. But, Joe, in your opinion, you know, from the conversations that we've had, how important is education and why are – not why are young people or not enough young people getting into this fantastic industry? Well, it's a good question, mate, and it's a difficult one to answer. But all all I can say is, how often do you see it in the mainstream media? Of course, if you're you're loosely involved in manufacturing, hopefully you're aware of our channels and Paul, the founder, set it up for a number of reasons. Obviously, education is a big part of it, but also helping people sell kit, essentially, metrology, 
and work holding cutting tools you know machine tools uh, promoting a product which hopefully you know ends up being ends up you know, culminating in an in inquiry and order but in terms of trying to answer your question about why don't people join i think it's and what when you when you see the bbc and i'm not here throwing you know accusations but when you see the mainstream media talking about manufacturing it's either some unrealistic shot of jlr's production line when it's all robots and no humans or to the other end of the spectrum it's sheffield forge masters and you've got these big ladles of molten material and to be frank fair play to them that's not necessarily somewhere i would want to work so it's they don't show the good bits they don't show you the nice clean machine shops you know the average machine shop now is clean you know it's you, you know okay you still have to do an element of manual work but they're these machine tools it's like running an ipad and i think i think if these and kids aren't kids anymore and they leave school. They pretty much leave school as adults. But it's these young adults, if they knew what was on the horizon, the fact the average salary is £32,000 against 26500 I believe, is national average across the board, across all industry. You know, if, if people knew that, I think it would attract more people. But, but it's, you know, we're doing our bit, but more people need to do more is what I think. Yeah, yeah I'd like now, to interject there. I think, Gio, just to say... I think um, it's got to start at the schools, really, isn't it? Because, you know, it's all very well having all the things that we normally do, English, maths and history and science and stuff, but it really has got to get into the curriculum, you know, to get um, engineering and manufacturing concepts uh, brought back into school because, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You're either more biased to using your hands or, or you are more academic, but I think it's a, it's a string of both today. I mean, you've got to be extremely academic to... Uh, to, to work in engineering today, certainly understanding all the engineering principles, but it really must start uh, at school. And, you know, again, you know, things that um, kind of inspired me as a child, you know, I can remember when the first space shuttle went up, you know, so, you know, being all brought into a classroom and watching this TV, seeing the first shuttle launch. And, you know, that kind of just inspires you a little bit to, to get involved. And then, you know, at home, you'd always be doing things like, you know, whether it was Lego or Meccano sets or, in, you know, fixing your bicycle. You're very hands-on. And I think today you, you just don't see that anymore. I think most children generally sit behind the phone or the or the PlayStation or Xbox. And I think I think there's there's certainly a missing there. And it's, it's just to get, create that inspiration to, to get them involved. I think, Steve, that's a really good point. And um, I think that, you know, going on what you said, actually, I've got two children, one's three and a half and one's five and a half. They're so into their Lego. They're so into their trains. They're so into all of the stuff that, you know, typical little boys or myself included love to play with. I believe, and I, and I could be totally wrong, that something happens to these children during school. They stop playing with their Lego and they stop. And the thing is, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, I think that maybe they need to be, I don't know, I don't, they, they, they need, it's such a fantastic industry. It's at the forefront of all technology. And that intuitiveness and that kind of entrepreneurialness is available in engineering and in the manufacturing industry. There's so many routes to so many jobs within this industry, and it's an, an awesome industry to be involved with. Um, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on board today. Any last thoughts? I think from my side, I just think um, it's all about education, as you're saying, and the job that you guys are doing is fantastic. It's helping get get out there in the main sort of domain. Um 
And uh, yeah, I'd just uh, like to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, to support you on this uh, podcast today. So uh, thank I you, wish Steve, you, and, and I wish you all well and uh, stay safe. Thanks, Steve. Joe, yeah, thanks, Steve. I, I'm 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 off up to set. M- yeah, I'm just saying to Steve, I'm off to set up my new business, which is called MTD Four Dogs. good 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 shout joe well thank you guys it's been an absolute pleasure if you've been listening to this mtd podcast and you have any questions that you'd like to be answered from joe or steve or even myself um please just send your inquiries and questions in to mtd inquiries and make sure to subscribe to the mtd podcast on your iphones and until next week it's the mtd podcast thank you Thanks for listening to the MTD Podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Find more episodes on mtdcnc.com.